Hi all, so this is something a little different. This is the extended audio from the recent five questions with video with Bill Bradley. Uh, you guys all know from Lizard Brain Radio here on THN. Originally, I tried to keep the five questions videos fairly short, and my whole conversation with Bill ended up being like an hour long. So I figured the sort of edited version, which is about 20 minutes long, which is on YouTube, uh, is there. And then this is sort of the extended conversation of all the stuff that I cut out just for time. So check this out. Hopefully this is something I'll kind of sprinkle in here and there periodically as well. Um, check out the video on our YouTube channel. If not, enjoy. Thank you all. Yeah. So I'm Bill Bradley with Coal Black Exotics, uh, Lizard Brain Radio, uh, Saurian Stories podcast, a uh, whole bunch of different things. Uh, questions today that we were going to talk about kind of centered on uh, the Coal Black Exotics stuff for the most part. In that business, my wife and I do educational shows using reptiles, amphibians, and invertebrates. As a business, we've done that since 2012. Um, I've done that since I was <clears throat> in high school. Uh, when I went to college, it was a work college. And so my job as a student there was also to uh, take care of their animals and do shows and things like that. So that's where I learned that particular trade, I guess, if you want to call it that, as, as far as the business goes. And then officially as a business, uh, we both started in 2012. All right. First question is, what is the biggest challenge in being a public educator with herps? <laughs> uh, I, I thought pretty hard about this one when you sent me the list. And the biggest challenge is, is a little bit dependent on what kind of event you're doing. So the biggest challenge, if it is a, uh, a private event where, you know, you, you know, you went to someone's home for a birthday party or, you know, they specifically wanted a reptile show at their personal event. Uh, your biggest problem there is usually just individual fears or, or people who, are, are just misinformed about reptiles. You know, there's always going to be a, a relative who didn't know that, that, that I was coming to the party or, you know, if it's, it's always, you know, almost always kids that we go to and, you know, they, when they're young, you know, elementary school, they like invite their whole class. And so then 20 kids show up. Well, there's no way all 20 are, are going to be okay with it. You know, we, some are scared of the tarantula, some are scared of snakes, you know, and, and when they're young, they have really hard fear reactions. So they'll scream or, you know, do the kind of exaggerated things. So when your individual private events is, is way more personalized fear type things. And so you need to be able to work with that. You have to be good with kids. Uh, you have to be able to, and especially when adult fears come in, you, you need to be able to be calm you know, have that voice cadence. A lot of the things that teachers do, a lot of public speakers do, everybody has a very similar voice cadence to them. It's a thing that if, I don't know if everyone realizes this, but if you travel around the United States and you turn on the news, most newscasters talk like I talk. They practice speaking like they're from the Midwest uh, because you lack an accent and you lack a lot of inflection that makes you very specific to a place. And so everybody is pretty uniform when they present uh, the information on the news. It's, it's a industry thing for them. And so you, 
that's more of it is more of the actual calm presentation because you're probably dealing with individual fears. The biggest challenge when you're working with the public is lack of control where, you know, people will just let their kids go to the festival and run around. Well, little kids don't always follow directions. They, they, you know, walk behind your table or you have to set things up so they can't get into things. Everything needs to be locked. Uh, you, you just don't have as much control. We do really, really large festivals, thousands of people. And we have a 12 by 20 tent usually with several tables for display and, and large, like the, our giant sulcata, he's in a tote on the ground. And then if there's grassy space, like I'll walk around with him or whatever. Um, but you have to have at least one person, preferably two at the table. You have to be watching. So nobody opens a thing. It theoretically should be locked. So no one can open it. Somebody's always going to knock something over. So, you, you know, you can't do fancy displays that could easily break. You, you know, you just, you have so have so much less control than you think and it's it's a positive thing but it's kind of a consequence as well of if you're good at this and you present well and you make people comfortable and they feel safe and they're you know they you're working through fears and you're helping people the people that weren't scared to start they thought it was cool automatically go into everything is safe. I can do whatever I can touch it. I can pet, you know, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. Teresa knows what she's talking about. It's totally safe. And then people just do things that don't make sense, like touch things face or they don't understand, you know, you'll, you'll teach about how uh, lizards have eyelids and snakes don't, and you're going through these lessons and then people want to touch them. And you're like, no, don't please don't poke a boa constrictor in the eye. Like you, you just, you lack you really lack control when you're in large groups of public and you don't think about that. If you're just walking around the pumpkin festival or whatever, as a person who is there, when you're the person who has a 15 foot reticulated pipe on the ground, and then you have a piece of snow fence that's holding back 40 people. It's like, Oh, Oh, there's a, gigantic predator on the ground here and these monkeys walking around don't like you please don't bring small dogs by me like all these things like it's just the lack of control is the biggest challenge because it you know in my facility or at home let's put it away i'll get a hook scoop it up put it in the thing close the door done you know that doesn't always work in public or if it takes two of us to put her away or two of us to put the sulcata away well, now one person is trying to fend off the horde from the table while we're carrying a tortoise into a van and people will follow you to the van. Like, hey, we're doing that giant tortoise. I'm like, try not to blow up my knee because it weighs 120 pounds. Like, just it's a, it's a control measure, I guess, that when you are working in your home or in your, you know, if you have a shed or a building or something and, and it's just you or like you and your kid or you and your spouse and you're cleaning stuff and going through you, it's a lot of work, but you are in control of everything. Um, and it's just so different when you're working with people you don't know. And then definitely when you're working with the public where, you know, they didn't expect you or it's some novel thing, um, you just don't have any control over how people will respond to you.
Let's see. Number two, do you find the general audiences becoming more open-minded over time? So, like, from when you started to now, do you find people are more, instead of being scared of, of herbs and snakes in particular, like, they're actually like, oh, these are really cool, like, I have one at home. Like, is it becoming more commonplace for, for people to sort of be into 100%. It? 100%. Um, we go to a lot of places year over year. Um, we have a, a huge list of libraries that we see every year, uh, Boy Scout groups that we see every year, uh, schools where we go to like a back to school night or, uh, you know, like a fall break fun day or, or whatever, um, just year over year. And so like we, we've seen some of these kids grow up, like we, we've been doing this long and like we're on in 10 years. So like I, elementary school kids that were at some of these libraries local to where I live are graduating high school. And like, I'm telling them about my friends who are college professors and, you know, we're, we're watching different school groups age out. Um, and they, they definitely in the places that see us repeatedly, you get, they're excited. Oh, Hey, I, you know, is, is the, is the rat snake bigger this year? Did that baby change colors? Did, you know, they remember things. Um, and just generally in the public, like at our big public events, um, we have, I don't know if it's necessarily that people are more okay with it, but people are less likely to voice the negative, I guess. Uh, when we first started, we had a lot of people that were on the religious aspect of it, where snakes were evil and, and different things like that. Uh, we actually didn't have very much. Uh, genuine ignorance as in like people that were uneducated and you know killed snakes or did silly things you had people that didn't know like sp the specific facts that we teach or like fun natural history or whatever but not like i kill all snakes with a lawnmower like we we really didn't run into that even at the very beginning uh we ran into a lot of people uh who had a very religious bent to their attitude with reptiles um Invertebrates is a lot more fear-based education for us. It's people that are scared of spiders. And so that usually is um, one irrational fear or genuine ignorance where they, they lack information and so they don't know. And ignorance, we work through easy. That, that's one of our best things is we, we give people facts and teach them and eventually like they're just cool with it because they... I can logically explain to you how it's safe or it's okay to hold this, or you can pet this leopard gecko and so on and so forth. Um, the irrational fear part is a lot more difficult, but now over time people are, there's way more people that come up to us and say they have a crested gecko or have a ball Python or, or stuff like that for your mainstream pet things. Um, but as far as like acceptance, we never really struggled with that other than, uh, a lot of the religious folks were south of Chicago and Chicago historically was a very segregated city as far as ethnic groups. And a lot of those were based in church parishes and that kind of thing. Um, and so a lot of their like street festivals or block parties or stuff like that are also related to the church for that area or what have you. And so we ended up a lot of the city things that we went to or this village or something like that uh, some started in the church or at a, you know, a summer picnic or something. And so we would struggle with that part um, quite a bit. But the, for us, the easy way to overcome that was we were teaching your kids. And so 
even people that had hardcore convictions about those things, when they saw that their kids were into it and their kids were learning and it was safe and we were, you know, we're not, we're not like a roadside dude with a gator who pokes it with a stick. Like we were educated people who are genuinely teaching and then have all the state requirements and all, all the fancy papers or whatever. Um, that really cuts that down. Like that adult might not participate, but they nowadays they'll rarely prevent their kids from participating. When we first started like 10 years ago, and definitely when I was in school, um, like I had pe people would like pull their kid's hand and cross the street. Like, don't go, don't go by those people. Like we don't, we don't go by snakes. Like don't do that. Um, that has really gone by the wayside. There are still people who are scared and they won't participate, but they'll stand back and, and let their kids or the flip to that, like Teresa, her, her big start to it was she wanted the kids to because she was scared. Um, and we do see a lot of that where, Hey mom, mom's not cool. Or yeah, dad's not really in for spiders, but yeah, if, if you guys go, if you guys want to talk to Mr. Bill, Teresa will help you, you know, talk, they got kids, talk to the kids. They, they're very encouraging, even if they don't want to. Um, and that's been a really big change in probably like the last five years. COVID messed up a lot of stuff, but it did for everybody. Um, but it's, it's definitely changed for the large public events. Like when we go to things like the Comic-Con, um, where it's just thousands and thousands of people, um, we ended up becoming kind of an event in that event. It generated enough interest in that way. And, and a lot of those were, you know, I don't really know my friends super into it. So I want to be with them. And, you know, the just kind of a little bit of peer pressure, but not necessarily in a negative way. You know, they were just there to support their buddy or their kid wanted to go or, or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that that's definitely going in a positive direction, at least in the in the Midwest. How do you recommend one start if they want to get into public education and be legitimate with the being legitimate part being kind of the, the main, like anybody can go and take snakes or something to a group and be like, check this out. But in order to, like you were saying, have like a level of legitimacy to it where it's, uh, you know, you're, you're not just some hick with a, with a gator, like you were saying, like you actually have, like what's the, is there, what is how involved is that process and how should somebody start doing that? So that really depends on where you live. Um, here in Illinois, there are permits and insurance processes and um, like for libraries, you, you have to be on a list to be an asset that libraries could use. Um, in Illinois, when you teach with a special use animal, which is any kind of venomous or a crocodilian, uh, you have to, it, they actually put it in the law, a bona fide educational demonstration at an institution. And then you have to have a letter proving that, uh, and you have a minimum number a year you have to do, and, and they track all of that. And that's, that's part of your permitting process. And so it's just doing the right thing. You do it, doing it the right way. Um, on the education side, that that honestly is what legitimizes you, which is kind of unfortunate because even at a school or a library or some of we've done some 
major institutions and museums and like nationally recognized facilities, um, they may not be educated enough to know if you aren't telling the truth about your animals. Like if, if you said an, an incorrect fact about a Boiga cyania, they, they wouldn't know that you were wrong. Or if, on the nefarious side, if you were lying, they, they wouldn't know. And so it really is incumbent on you to be, to be that educated and, a, and able to accurately speak about the things that you're trying to teach. But on the legitimizing it side is the paperwork, is the insurance, you know, doing what your state or county or town or, or what have you. Like we, we support US ARC. Uh, Teresa and I are, are huge on it. Uh, we help out whenever we can with them, raising money and different things like that. And a lot of the things that they do are fighting laws, which I agree with when I, when I feel that those laws overstep, like most folks do. The difference is the current laws in my state, I follow all of them all the time. Even the ones I think are stupid. It, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I literally just texted our state herpetologist and I emailed him the other day uh, talking about Slowinski uh, rat snakes. Our state does not recognize subspecies. He, he's the state herpetologist. He wrote our herpetile code in 2015. I've had a bunch of conversations with him. He's awesome. But our state doesn't recognize subspecies. And in our state, the emery or like the Great Plains rat snake is an endangered species. And so montane, thorn scrub, sluent, they don't care. It's, it's in the MRI complex and they have not adjusted our herptile code to match current taxonomic literature. That's it. And so if I, if I get one, I will have to amend my permit and add it. And he's cool. He's, you know, here's the link. Here's how you amend it. And I know that stuff, you know, we have our permits. We're cool. Um, they come inspect us. They, you know, he called, Hey, I'm going to, I'm in the area. I want to check out how you're uh, doing with the gators. Uh, you know, see your stuff X, Y, and Z. Yeah, man. Uh, see you after lunch or, or whatever, you know, whatever worked. And then we figured it out and he come out and hung out. Um, you, you have to, you, you have to follow all of the rules all the time. And it's doubly important in my opinion for us because people already don't like our stuff. It's slimy and gross and snakes and spiders are scary. And you're some freak with a beard and tattoos and, and a Python. And you, you are already fighting that you are already fighting a stigma. So when your state or your town or what have you has these rules, then you're that guy or that person and you broke the rules. You're screwed. You'll, you'll never come back from that. They already had a reason to not like you because you're gross, slimy snakes. And then you broke a, a law or you broke an ordinance or what have you. It, it isn't worth it in, in my opinion. Um, and so it's for us when we are working at an institution or working at an educational facility, it's our level of education and presentation that legitimizes what we do. Um, Teresa didn't really come up as a reptile nerd, so she is she studies. She she had flashcards at one point, and she would read before shows. She texts me stuff like, "Hey, you, I heard you on a podcast talking about some literature thing. Did something change? You know, when you messaged the Ipers about Australia, like what what was going on? Like." 
she studies for her job, which her second job is presenting reptiles to people. It's, it's her hobby. She likes to build enclosures and take care of stuff, but she's not a nerd like me. She's not going to sit down and read the more complete carpet Python. She just isn't. So she, Hey, we got a poster from Dr. Jewlander. What, what's going on? Did something like, and then I explained to her, Hey, this is, you know, what his poster said, this is book, blah, blah, blah. And then she passes that information on and is, Oh, well, this is a new thing that I learned. And, and she's, she's genuinely teaching because she's passing, passing on the most current information available to her. Whereas somebody on my end, like I am, <clears throat> I'm doing the same thing, but I, I'm going to read. I, I just got Offenberg's book on the Bengal monitor. I'm going to read the whole thing. And then it's like being in school, like the critical thinking questions in the book. Now I can infer things. I can talk to my other monitor friends and just have more in-depth conversations. And so your presentation and accuracy becomes much more important based on your audience. Whereas when I'm just doing a birthday party with kids, it's safety. And I hold the head of the boa and we'll put it on your shoulders and take a picture for your mom. And, you know, I don't just hand you a gator. Like I wrap the mouth how I'm supposed to, I control the thing. I help you hold the feet so the claws don't get you. And it's, it's way more about <clears throat> your personal interaction um, as opposed to your necessary education level, right? Because elementary school kids aren't going to really understand. We start talking about ectotherms and endotherms or, or something of that nature. And so you need to dumb it down, which sounds negative, but that's honest. Right. And so then it's more about like, we wear polos. I wear a collared shirt. When I present, it's clean. It's nice. I, you know, tuck your shirt in, wear shoes that aren't dirty, like just stuff like that. Don't look like the dude who just pulled the frog out of the swamp to show a kid. Like, don't be a weirdo. You, you have to have some kind of social decorum. Um, and that's way more important in small uh, personal settings. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a complicated um, business to be in because it's very dependent on your audience, but it, a lot of the trends follow through if it's a museum or a 10 year old doesn't, you know, some things are the same. I hope that answered that. Yeah. Uh, do you see the invert hobby getting more streamlined with her pediculture? And that was based mostly off going to shows and, and Daytona and stuff and seeing how many more vendors there are now with not just yeah. isopods, but, but tarantulas and, and other stuff. Like seems yes. like every show I go to, there's more and more tables with that stuff in it. So I'm starting to notice a trend of, you know, is, is yeah. the it, invert culture growing with, with her pediculture now and kind of melding into one. Um, they're still very separate in my opinion. Um, I think the invert and amphibian and small desk pet, uh, set it up nice and just look at it. Um, you know, it's like a fish tank, but cooler, that kind of crowd. Um, they exploded during COVID, um, plant podcasts, plant shows, pl you know, became a huge thing because you were stuck at home and you were remote working and you wanted to make your space nice and, and all these things. 
And you can do that with reptiles uh, and amphibians, and it's possible. It's usually pretty expensive. Uh, you can set up automated systems and, and like a dart frog tank doesn't have to be very big and, and but you got to learn about plants and then you got to buy a lot of equipment and to do it easily costs a lot of money you can do it simply but then you need to be a little more educated a little more dedicated on time a little more skilled to overcome not using expensive nice equipment um the invertebrate hobby is totally different you can not necessarily everyone agrees with it but you can basically set tarantulas up in any plastic container with cross ventilation and a hide and they don't really care um they're an incredibly simple animal and they're small size literally they're literally a desk pet you can literally set one on your desk and and be good you know, you get a fossorial tarantula, it's just a box of dirt. You feed it once a week and it will be happy for the next 20 years and it won't care. You'll only ever see some cool blue feet, but it will have a wonderful life as far as a fossorial tarantula is concerned. Um, and so their, I think their ease of care has really been brought to people's attention. Uh, in the same way with houseplants and, and all the things that got popular during COVID, you know, podcasts and and the things that like people kind of are making fun of a little bit now. Like oh, everybody started a podcast. So why? So we we're all killing time, wanted to listen to people and talk to our friends and we couldn't in person. So that's why it got popular. Plants got popular because I didn't go outside. I wanted a nice space in my house. These tiny pets in the invertebrate trade are becoming incredibly popular because I didn't want to spend a ton of money because I wasn't totally sure and I didn't have a ton of space. I live in an apartment or whatever. I could put this on my desk, put it on my shelf. They're beautiful. You get purple ones and pink ones and crazy different things. And most of, if not all of the really pretty beautiful ones are old worlds. So you don't touch them. They just set them up and they look nice. A lot of them like to live in burrows. So you're, it's literally a pet hole in the dirt. And then you get the fun of, oh, I saw it come out. I, I finally got a picture. You, you know, it builds some anticipation. And so their their hobby is really, really blossoming. Uh, the collectible aspect is still pretty heavy in the isopod section because it's so easy to build a collection of them being very small. And they're easier to feed uh, using, you know, leaf litter and different things like that. Um, but on the tarantula side, it's also that we've gotten good at breeding a lot of them, and we can still import some. And in Europe, they are killing it for breeding. They do a much better job than us for quite a few species, and we're still able to import them. And so that's a pretty big deal. Um, it's also a really big deal that in comparison to reptiles, at least, uh, when you're importing those animals, you're actually importing captive bred stuff, whereas a lot, you can import captive bred stuff from Europe for reptiles as well. Uh, but it's usually really expensive. It, it's going to be a very specific species. Um, your average pet keeper probably is not interested in those species. And if they are, they might be hesitant to spend that kind of money. Um, and so it's it's usually more dedicated hobbyists on the reptile and amphibian side that are willing to do captive bred imports, uh, which is why wild caught imports are, are kind of still a big thing in our hobby. Whereas a lot of the wild caught imports for invertebrates, it happens but 
invertebrates also have an issue where a lot of them are becoming more endangered, are becoming rarer. Uh, countries are cracking down pretty hard on a lot of their exportation for invertebrates. And our country has concern for invertebrates in the idea of agriculture pests and a lot of different rules uh, that start to affect those things like phasmids and, and a lot of the really cool stick insects um, that a lot of folks don't know, which I hope they listen to this if they're into invertebrates. Those are all federally regulated and you're not supposed to have any of them. So I'm not telling anybody what to do, but if you own cool stick insects, probably don't post them on Instagram anymore, or I could find them just by going through your hashtags because they're all illegal in our country. Um, and it just, but they're invertebrates, so not as many people care, right? Um, but yeah, on the hobby side, man, even enclosures. I, I was just going through enclosures with my daughter. We, we built more, she built one yesterday and I built two uh, when I was in Pennsylvania to bring back here and show her, um, they're cheap. They're nice. They're it's, it's, you know, it's just acrylic. So it's, it's relatively inexpensive, crystal clear. They already have cross ventilation cut. Uh, you could just spin that stuff through a CNC machine. No problems. The places are able to pump them out pretty nice. They're not very big. They stack up. Um, it's on the hobby side and then just a general pet owner side, invertebrates are crushing it they're they're doing a, a great job and they have, there are several invertebrate podcasts out now that really jumped up when podcasts jumped up during the pandemic um and and on the pet side like they actually are an awesome pet uh people obviously struggle with the fear uh portion of it but uh as a pet owner and then for me like having a facility and having like two dozen of them um it's simple. I can, you know, I can rotate through, I can show three or four kinds of brachypelma, three or four kinds of gramostola. It's a fat, fuzzy spider, brown, black, red, you, you know, some combination of that. Uh, and kids love a giant fuzzball spider. They're super chill. They don't care. And then I can have an enclosure with a purple one and show you that and you'll think it's pretty. Um, they just have a ton of appeal and a, it's a lower lower bar for entry, I guess. Um, even your most basic reptile, aside from maybe a crusty, you're going to need some equipment. And a crusty, you're still going to have to, like where I live, you have to worry about humidity in the wintertime at the very least. Um, so there are some more stringent requirements to go the reptile amphibian route than there is the invertebrate route. Get so tempted to get back into them and I'm it's a slippery slope. Yes, it I'll is. Get sucked back in hardcore. Drive Katie crazy. She she really doesn't do the spiders. I'm already pushing my luck with the uh, the escapees. So. Yeah, I mean, I get you know, and it, and it that we do we do a lot of fear based education, helping people uh, overcome their fears, and. For adults, spiders, roaches, creepy crawlies, spiders specifically, um, it, people really struggle. You, you know, even like I have friends that I, I work with. I've, I've worked with people in a rescue for exotics. They, they listen to my shows. They help me teach shows and are, I'm talking about people with master's in science degrees, highly educated. They can't. They can't do a tarantula with me. They're that scared. 
Uh, and it's, it is a very difficult thing for a lot of adults to overcome. It, it really is. Yeah, I, that's cracks me up that Dan is interested in them too. Cause like the only reason that I, I sort of, I didn't really necessarily have like a serious phobia about spiders, but I certainly wasn't the biggest fan of them. And then I ended up getting a rose hair back that I gave my buddy uh, for his birthday. And after within no time, I was like, these things are actually really freaking cool. And I started looking at other species and stuff. And before you know it, man, I was all kinds of stuff. A lot of, a lot of ornamentals. Well, and that's, you know, it's just like our hobby or just like the amphibian hobby. The diversity is astounding, you know, and, and diversity in everything from looks to habitat to the cool stuff they do. You know, if you want to watch a trapdoor spider build something or, or see, you know, see an arboreal, how they maneuver. And like, it's, it is just as in depth as our side of the hobby with reptiles and normally is in a smaller package and so you're able to get all the things that we enjoy a lot of us enjoy in the reptiles but it fits on a shelf you know or you can fit uh one arboreal one terrestrial one fossorial and there's you know just a dresser good to go yeah that was the problem is i could keep a ton of them with next to no space right yeah and and, then you can and if you the, the issue a lot of folks run into is, you know, if you get males and it's a little shorter lived or, or what have you, but um, you'll have to spend a little bit more money. But if you got females of things or you knew were female, you're talking 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, like a long time. And so you can have a very long term pet as an adult in a very small space. And that's that's pretty rare. Like a lot of the large. Like some of the longest lived things for us, like iguanas, right? I'll have my rhino iguana probably until I die. Well, that thing's like three feet long. It's it's a big iguana. Like, yeah, it's cool that they live a long time, but it's not, it won't sit on my desk, you know. It will, but it's gonna knock stuff over and try to eat something. <laughs> Last one is how can parents better support their kids who are into herps? And this one was kind of tough because like the people that are watching this probably aren't the parents that are hesitant to let their kids get into it, but I figured it's a, and you having kids that are as involved in 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 things. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, what do you do to help sort of culture that and foster it? I I don't make fun of what they like. In I'm. I'm kind of different in that I don't have a, an Australian collection or I don't have, I'm not a gecko guy. I like everything. And, and I utilize a huge variety of things to teach. Um, but even if I wasn't using things to teach, I, I actually enjoy having a diverse collection. Um, I'm like everybody, you know, some stuff is cooler to me than other stuff, but I, I find interest in pretty much everything. But on the hobby side, like uh, pretty much everybody who watches this or listens to it is probably a reptile nerd already. Um, Like if your kid wakes up and wants a leopard gecko, just a plain crusty, a leopard gecko with an orange tail, a 
banana ball or whatever, like just some plain old pet. Um, don't, don't make fun of it. Like set it up, help, you know, foster their interest. Um, and a big thing for my kids was I didn't make them do that stuff. Uh, my oldest daughter was really into helping with shows because she likes to uh, hang out with little kids. She likes to babysit and, and do things like that. And she loved ball pythons. Uh, she, they're super pretty. They have a million different colors. She thought it was the coolest thing in the world. We live pretty close to NARBC and Tinley Park. So we go, we go there every year. And she would see just a kaleidoscope of ball pythons on a table. She thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm, we walked around and window shot ball pythons. I hung out with, you know, all these people that breed them. And, hey, can she hold that or check it out? You know, and they're all cool. Like, you know, yeah, man, it's a little kid. Come on. Um, and I just let her do her thing. You know, she got a banana ball. She thought it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, we have a couple of normal balls that we used to teach with. She, she loves those. And now she's 16. She has a job and a car and other stuff and other interests. And, you know, and she likes it, but she doesn't really like doing the shows because she's a teenager. So now all those little kids are kind of annoying and she likes to do shows with the family because she wants to go to a cider festival with us. And then we go eat lunch afterward or whatever. Um, but her interest is just different. My son is super into turtles and I don't, I didn't try to like make him be into something different. Speaking of, there's one of them right now. What are you doing? Answering questions with Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but no, like I, they do their thing um in indira for the longest time was only invertebrates that was her jam she would help out with reptiles but she didn't really care about that stuff she just wanted to set up spiders and teach people about scorpions and bugs and all kinds of stuff and so we just let her do her thing like within reason obviously we you know we don't spend crazy money or get the thousand dollar tarantula or whatever but um it just isn't um a forced kind of thing, I suppose. Um, and the flip is true as well, where if your son or daughter is into it, the harder you push against it, as they go into teens, it's going to be like most teens, right? They're going to want to do it because you don't want to do it. It's very, you know, they're counterculture teens. Everybody, everybody is, everybody was, right? But when they're young, it, it's just an openness, right? Like, I don't care. Yeah. You want to, my kids like to kayak or whatever. Like, that's cool. So you would do that or you like invertebrates. Okay. Like it's, it's just more of an acceptance and openness thing, I suppose. And openness as in they keep coming in the open door while I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. So close the door. Like that, and then you reprimand them. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, if you're already a reptile nerd or you're already into this, don't, in my opinion, as a parent, don't make them be into it because they're they're not gonna. If they are, cool. If they're not, 
it, it was your hobby to start with. So do your hobby. Um, if you are a, not a reptile person or a bug person or whatever, and you somehow found these questions, um, you also don't have to necessarily own a pet. Go to the zoo more often. Go, you know, go to like NARBC and just wander around, check everything out. And it, it will kind of suck if they're younger, they might have a tantrum or be upset. Like, don't buy anything, you know, <laughs> come hang out at the rescue table where we're at, or come hang out at the t-shirt table where people are at and like, just hang out, like be involved in the hobby, but don't own a pet that maybe your kid is in elementary school. You want to wait until they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old and can kind of, you know, do, do the water, feed it, take chores. When they're really young, it's going to be your pet. And so if, if that's not something you're down for, you can bring really young kids to a giant show. People will let them hold a crested gecko. People will let them hold a ball python. You can do all the fun stuff. Then just go home. Like, oh, hey, let's grab a candy bar and get out of here. Like, it's a little kid. You have the parenting tactics down, you know, to they had their fun. They saw a bunch of snakes. And now we're going to go home, but without a snake. Um, there's a million things you can do. Herp, uh, herpetological societies, uh, all these different zoos. Uh, there's a ton of different stuff that you can be actively involved in this and not own one. Um, yeah. I, just, as, I think, so I think about it sort of like my parents, I don't know, my entire life I've, I've been into herps like as far back as I can remember. And I never had like my parents, uh, they never really had any reservations about it. My dad kept stuff when he was a kid and I think he kind of saw the excitement that I had as a, as a child and he sort of I'm the exact ran opposite. with that. So I don't know. It's I, for me, it's, it's a hard concept to sort of wrap my head around as far as like not being into it, but having a kid that is. Uh, so I've been in, into this since grade school. Like I, I did presentations on it in like third and fourth grade. My mom still has them. My mom is terrified. My dad had cool pets when he was a kid. Um, but when I was growing up, he was working a lot. And then my mom also started to work. And then my mom is, she, she doesn't like them to this day. They, she is scared of snakes. She can't do the bug thing. It, it really bothers her. Um, but she's super excited about the education part. And so she tells people about it. She brings my nephews over like, she understands what we're doing, but she, she can't. She's touched like two reptiles ever. So when I was growing up, man, I wasn't allowed to have anything, nothing. I could keep stuff outside in the summertime, like toads or, you know, get a, catch a praying mess or whatever. Um, but man, nothing. Uh, and the first reptiles I ever kept, I was already in high school and I had to keep them at my grandma's house. Um, my grandparents were crazy. My grandma would make eggs for Savannah monitors and like make salad for Euromastics. She was awesome. Um, but by, and it's an irrational fear. It's legit that my mom has. Um, and she just, nope, can't do it. She, I could go to, I went to every zoo, aquarium, go walk around the pet store, every book, go to the library, check out every book you want to. I'll drive you up there, check out the frog book, do all, you know, anytime there was a, 
person like me coming to an event. Yeah, let, let's go and go check out the thing. You never bring one home, but I'll, I'll take you to see whatever you want to see. Um, so I was always involved in that. Like I knew who those people were. I, I went to the zoo and I met this person and saw this thing. And, you know, my parents were really supportive that way. They just cannot have it in the house, man. And so yeah. that's what we did. Yeah, I just I never had to like beg my parents to own, you know, a snake. It was something they never really seemed to fight. Like it was never something they they just kind of rolled with it. And like even my mom loves corn snakes. Like my mom tells me all the time, like corn snakes are probably her favorites. And she'll like I'll post a picture of one and she'll be like, "Is that a corn?" And I'll tell her, and she's like, They're, "You know, she loves them." So it's just like I said, for me, it was never an issue of being able to keep anything. But I know for a lot of people, like that was their childhood, and then oh, like, yeah. and now, like it's just it, being a parent that's that would be terrified of that kind of stuff. But then you have a kid that is clearly very much into it, but you can't get over sort of the the irrational fear, irrationality in general of it to to sort of see where that takes them. Because I mean, I don't. I'm really glad my parents never never shut it down. Oh yeah, you know, for sure. It's like it's it's my life. Like it's been my life, my entire life. It's it's you know, I was military, I was a military kid, so we moved around a lot. And it was like the one thing I could take with me everywhere we went. You know, it was just one of those things where it was Yes. Like that's what I had. And that they never once sort of stifled it or uh you know, like I said, like stuck their nose up at it or scoffed at it. It was always just like eh, it's just it's what he's into. You know, it is what it is. See that my my dad is whatever, like that's ah, cool. Well, you got to do lizard. Awesome. Like, he, he's, he thinks it's cool. But um, now as an adult or really since college, like when I had my own money in my own place or whatever, um, like my mom is the kind of person where she was like, Oh, right, that's what he does. Like, you know, people would bring a kid over and I'm like, right, you want to see a, a snake or see a frog or whatever. And, and the, person who was visiting or if i was at an event or whatever like oh you know if, if you're not busy or you don't have time you know it's you know if you got time that'd be cool and my mom would be like that that's all he does J just go ahead you're not you're not bothering him go go check out the tortoise like it you know so like they're really supportive of it um but like she, she brings people to my facility all the time and is like yep yeah, go ahead just, just follow Billy. He'll show you around the thing back there. I, he's got these chairs up here. Be here when you're done. <laughs> like, you know, and that's how far the support goes. So. Yeah. I don't know. I consider myself lucky, man. And then, I mean, even to have a parent that, that was into it too. Like my dad, you know, when we bred right. corns and stuff, it was, I don't know. I got, I got lucky. And, uh, He's still into it. He doesn't keep anything now, but he's still, anytime I see him, he was always asking me, you know, what's in the incubator? What do you got hatching? Uh, yeah. You know, how the baby's doing, that kind of stuff. So, See, that's a parenting thing in general, though, it, I think. Like, people, that's a thing on social media where people talk to Teresa and I a lot uh, with the reptile shows and then on our personal pages, too. Um, so her family is not in Illinois. So a bunch of the stuff we post is about the kids so that the in-laws can kind of keep up, you know, and we get a ton of that. Like 
oh like you you know you guys do so much stuff with your kids or like you support this thing or let your kids do this thing or whatever and yeah that like that's it like my kids my daughters got into needlework and knitting or whatever and like i don't spend crazy money you know i got it on sale or stuff like that but like bought a bunch of yarn because that that was their thing like you know my son is super into turtles and video games and so when there's a turtle sale or a video game sale (laughs) he gets a turtle or a video like you know what whatever thing they're into cool like a bunch of those are not my thing i i don't have the dexterity or patience for needlework of any kind (laughs) um but i have bought a lot of yarn and a really nice sewing machine (laughs) (laughs) and you know I kind of treat the hobby the same way. Like, you know, he, my son really loves the bull snake, loves to hold it. Thinks it's the coolest thing ever. Uh, Really loves the ball python. And then other than that, he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, that's cool. Lizard plant, whatever stupid thing you're building. I'm going to go check out these turtles. And so, all right, man, turtles are downstairs, you know, and you know, the Indies all into the invertebrates and, she wants to see every kind of new spider she can see. And, okay. You know, did you get a new lizard? I'm like, yeah, I got these geckos. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And then just walks away. Like, it's not her <laughs> thing. And it, okay. Like, I don't, yeah. it's my thing. That's why I got them, you know, and she does her thing. Um, yeah. It's just a, I don't know. It's very weird to me that I don't think it should be that difficult, I guess, you know. Within I, think, reason. I mean, normally it, it wouldn't be, but I think given that the, you know, we're talking about the animals that as stigmatized as they are, sure. it's another level of, of that. You know, I can see that like kid wanted to, to do motocross or something like, yeah, I can see there's reservations of, well, you know, people get hurt on those things all the time, whatever, but right. the time, there's plenty of people that don't, you know, so it's like, okay, we'll give it a shot. You know, it's like, if you're terrified of, um, skydiving and your kid wants to be like, I want to go skydiving. Like I can understand like they're, they're, you have your sort of your boundaries, I guess, and your lines to draw in the sand. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I really think that having an interest as extreme, I mean, I don't want to use the word passion because it gets overused a lot, but uh, like having such an, a, you know, obsession since a younger age and having that all the time, I think it was, like that's what sort of kept me on the, the straight and narrow. I'm going to yell at you. Uh oh. I ripped a tortilla bag. <laughs> there you. That's what that was about. Yeah, I didn't it, know uh, it had a ziplock on one end, so I just <laughs> tore the other end. <laughs> And now I have to reuse a gallon Ziploc bag to store the tortillas. Opened it up like an ape. I was hungry. <laughs> they handed me a bag of tortillas, and I was like, what the hell? And I just ripped it open, and my daughter was like, that had a zip on it. They don't need more. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, having, no, man. It, having that, I think, heavenly, I mean, I never, you know, drugs and, and stuff like that was never of any interest to me, whether that was sort of a, a military kid thing and sort of learning to be more independent and and not needing a quantity of friends, the quality mattered more. Uh, 
or yeah. if it was having herps and stuff and that just being like being so focused on that and just immersing myself in that constantly i think there's well there's and a there's lot a lot to be said, to be really said anything like with, with the hobby currently like though it i well it'd be a little different like when i was getting into this like 25 years ago and so like we didn't have dial up internet. Like I remember getting dial up, you know? And so like, it would have been really hard for my parents to bring me to the Chicago herb society meeting. It's like a hundred miles from here, you know, or some of the zoos, like I didn't get to go to until later in life when I could drive or, or stuff like that. Um, the community side of her pediculture now, like, like my kids know bunches of people. And, and they go to NARBC and, and Mike Stefani's family is there and they know uh, his wife or they see his kids or, you know, these different folks from Madison Herb Society and different things. There's way more um, community aspect to it that makes it easier for a kid to be involved if their parent is not into it. Um, I mean, when they're really young, like you still have to drive them and all, you know, it's, it's same thing as taking your kid to practice or whatever, you know, you'll still have to be the chauffeur and, and all the parent trappings that come with it. But, um, there's just, it seems like, um, like Chicago Herp Society has a junior Herp Society. Um, Madison Herp Society has a juniors, uh, a portion for kids. Um, we do like, 50 different charity things every year for every zoo and library and thing you could ever think of. Um, there's just way more like positive ways for kids to be involved. Um, Cause like when I was a kid, some of the reptile shows like you didn't want to go to, cause they were pretty sketchy, which I mean, you know, that's yeah. reptiles historically are a counterculture thing. Yeah. There's going to be, yeah. you know, punk rock people that look like me. Um, you know, some parents aren't cool with that, which I get. Um, but no, it, it's way more, you know, normalized mainstream. It's a million times safer because, it, you know, there's there are regulations for crocodilians, you know, and in, in depending on where you live. Um, you know, there are limitations for your kid to buy something that's actually dangerous or, or make a mistake. And if a parent is not educated on species or what have you. Um, yeah, it's just so much easier now. Like my, my kids could go to any number of pet shops, reptile shows, a, a million different things. Like they go to NRBC. Mm -hmm. I go back to the hotel room and get my stuff. You guys go to go hang out with Sean, you know, like they'll, they'll go to the Chicago reptile house table. His son will be there probably with his wife and chill, you know, um, there, there is way more herpeticulture. Like it, it is yeah. more of a culture and community now. Um, that's always been there, but it, like, especially like, I have way more experience with Midwest stuff. But like, the Chicago Herp Society started with people from the Field Museum, and so it was way more adult, academic, you know, natural history, right? Uh, just things that would be harder for kids to be involved in. Mm -hmm. um they were it was just a lot rarer back then yeah um whereas now you know they have the junior time and you can do it through skype or, or whatever there's just so many more opportunities for younger people to be involved that 
you know, their parent wouldn't necessarily have to be a reptile keeper to mm -hmm. do that. 